Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I'm starting a new series today uh, called Stress Test. Stress test. We're going to take a stress test today. And so some of y'all are like, man, I need one of those. Some of you are like, I don't need one. I already know I'm stressed. Uh, either way, uh, we're, we're going to look at some stress. We have been, uh, over the past couple of weeks, really diving deep uh, into Paul's letters uh, to uh, the churches and specifically to his letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, but I want to change gears just a little bit and begin to look at his letter to the church at Philippi. And so we're going to go to the book of Philippians. Over the next couple weeks, uh, we're going to take a couple verses and we're going to reverse engineer them. All right, we're going to look at the product, we're going to look at the outcome, and then we're going to reverse engineer it until we can figure out how we get, how we accomplish, how we attain that same product. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are in a time in our culture where people are stressed. You driven lately? Shop lately? Talked to anyone lately? Been on social media lately? We live in a stress time. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, I am not saying this because I am in need. Paul is just, I'm, we already know, Paul is not going to mince words. He's just going to tell us how it is. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned. It didn't come naturally to me. I actually learned how to be content. Whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need. So I'm not just content because I'm, I'm well off. I'm not just content because things are going well. I, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. That word learned is really interesting. I said it already, but I'm going to say it about four more times to make sure it gets into our minds. It doesn't come naturally. So just because it doesn't come naturally doesn't mean that we... We push it off. We, we have to learn how to be content. So, so I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ, through him who gives me strength. Now, we love Philippians 4.13. We like to talk about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Did you know the context of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 is not you being the CEO on your workplace. It is not overcoming your wife in an argument. It is not training that rebellious children, child, children, plural, all of them. It is, Philippians 4, 13, in context, is talking about being able to be content. It applies to anything that we do in our life, but in context, it is driven to the point of content. How to be content. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. When I'm in need, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm well-fed, whether I have plenty, I've learned the secret. And he says, I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says he's learned the secret. This tells us that it's possible to be content. Did you know that? Did you know it's possible to be content? It's, it's, it's possible to actually attain contentment, to feel all right. And I know, I, I know what many of us are thinking. We're thinking, yeah, that's right. If I can just get this and this and this, I can do this and this. And she stops and he stops and they do and we do and we have and then we will be. But it's not what Paul is saying. Paul, in fact, writes the letter to the church at Philippi from a prison cell. Not a prison cell that he just found himself in. 
most scholars believe that he had already been in prison for over two years when he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi. So he's not saying from his living room in a place of comfort, saying, hey guys, I have learned the secret to being content. And we're like, obviously. You know, it's like, you, you see someone that has everything going for them, has all the resource in the world, and they're saying, man, I just, I just, I'm happy. And we're like, we know. And we would be too if we had what you had. That's not Paul. Paul is in chains. He's imprisoned. He doesn't know how long he's going to be in prison. In fact, some of the things that he was in prison for at this moment, at this time, because he went to jail a lot of times, for this time, he was, it was false accusation. So he's imprisoned falsely, and he says, I've learned the secret to being content. Over the next couple of weeks, as we talk about stress, we're going to talk about the opposite of stress, which is actually contentment. And we're going to unpack and reverse engineer from contentment all the way back to figure out how do I learn the same secret that Paul learned to be content in, the, in, in every area of my life. Contentment is possible. I, I was uh, preaching about five or six weeks ago, and I've told a lot of people this story because it was really impactful for me. When, when you're preaching... I remember in youth ministry, when I, when I preached, I, I, I felt like young people would come to church and they didn't realize that I could see them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're up, I mean, I'm in an elevated position. I can see very clearly. At campuses, it's a little difficult, but for the most part, I, I, I can see you all. And, and I would have young people come and, and, and literally, you know, they're making out in the back or, you know, they're pulling each other's hair. They're doing things it's like, I can see you. Literally, I stopped my message one time. I said, hey, guys, I can see you. I don't know if you know this. Like, I can see you. They're like, you can? Like, yeah. It's very obvious. But when you're preaching, when you're speaking, when you're communicating, there's two conversations going on. Sometimes more. For sure, too. There's what I'm saying right now, and then there's, like, my thoughts back here. Sometimes I'm like, go Seahawks. Other times I'm like, man, it's hot in here. Other times I'm hungry. But, but about, about six weeks ago... I'm preaching, and I'm talking to you about Paul and his letter to the church at Ephesus. And in the back of my mind, there's another conversation that's going on, and it's the Holy Spirit dealing with me. And I'm preaching. I'm like, man, Lord, hold on a second. This is a really good point. I need to, I need to make sure I really, really get this one. And the Holy Spirit, I, I, I just begin, he begin to bring up instances of Paul's troubles, and I begin to think about this scripture that I'm preaching about today because this scripture is not about after he got through all the trouble, after he got out of prison, after he got out of jail. Now he says, I've learned how to be, con it, was in, it was in the midst of it. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit begin to speak to me and deal with me about how many times I've said, when we get through this, then. Oh, when we get, when we get out of 2020. Ooh. 2021 is going to be so good. When, when we get past the pandemic, when we get past the election, when we get, there's all of these milestones that I have in my mind. They're, they're checkpoints for contentment. That if I, if I get past these things, then I will be. And the Holy Spirit began to deal with me as I'm preaching to you, to dealing with me, convicting me that I'm waiting for something on the other side in order for me to be content. And I have not, what Paul said, learned how to be content where I 
am. And I went back after the first service. I went back to my office. I sat in my chair, and I began to pray, and I began to ask God to help me because I realized that my contentment was always hope in what was to come. But I had an inability to have joy, peace, contentment while the battle was still raging. This is what I'd like to propose to you today. That contentment is possible not after but in. Not, not, not just when you get to the other side, but right where you are. I know what you're saying. It's like, well, you don't know what's going on in my life. I'm, t- I'm telling you, Paul had been whipped, he'd been shipwrecked, and he was in jail. He says, I learned the secret to being content. Let me ask you this question. Are you, are you stressed? Are you stressed in any area of your life? Just think about it. Like, do you feel, do you feel that pressure anywhere? I found this, this study, like it was a test, a stress test. And they asked you these questions, and you rated yourself. I'm not going to tell you what my score was because it's super embarrassing. But they asked these questions. Have you been upset because of something that happened unexpectedly? Anybody been upset about something that's happened unexpectedly? Have you felt that you were unable to control important things in your life? Have you ever felt or recently felt nervous or stressed? Some of you are like, before I came to church. <laughs> Have you found that you could not cope with all of the things that you had to? Have you felt difficulties were piling up so high that you could not overcome them? And then I had like a rating system next to each of these questions of like all the time, somewhat, you know, never. And, and, and then it generated my score. I just clicked out of it real quick. <laughs> ah, the devil is a liar. No stress. Stress, it's real. The, the studies show, and, and then they're really declaring that generation Gen Z, the generation after millennials, our young people right now, is the most stressed generation in modern history. That they are more anxious, they are more depressed. And they are more, more stressed than any generation in modern history before them. This, this, this is wild. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States of America. Listen to this. Depression is the leading cause of disability in our world. And you think about all types of disability. Depression tops the charts as the leading, the leading issue that leads to disability. Think about it. What causes stress? Decisions. These are, these are four areas that I have in my life. Decisions, dilemmas, delays, and drama. Any of those, that'll touch you. I mean, just saying it. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm stressed. I'm stressed. You said it. You said drama. Yep, that's, that's me. You're stressed. Now, here's the thing when you talk about when you talk about contentment, specifically when you talk about stress, and really specifically when you begin to talk about anxiety, people in the church, they, 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 they have two different reactions. One of them is this. You need to fast and you need to pray. And don't come out of your prayer closet until you're happy. Right? So we got people starving and dying. And, and, and then, then, then you have people on this side that it's like, it, 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 is, it is not a spiritual issue. It is a natural issue, and I just got to figure it out, and I got to, I got to, both sides. Both sides are valid. Both sides are helpful. I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to talk about what your doctor should tell you, because I'm not a doctor. 
I'm going to tackle the spiritual side of anxiety and the spiritual side of stress. That I am a professional in. What, what, what you do in your own life, we're not even going to touch this. And, and we believe that God's given wisdom to doctors, to counselors, to therapists. And there are some, pe- some issues in your life that you need to get people to help you with. There are times where God uses different, uh, different things. That, that God, God uses different people to speak into our life in different ways to help us. And we need to use everything that's available naturally. This is what we say. Is everything that's spiritual in our life has to be practical. And everything that's practical, practical in our life has to be spiritual. If you're just practical, you will abandon the power of God to do something powerful in your life. If you're just spiritual, you will deny the practical steps that you need to take to walk out of trauma, depression, stress, or anxiety. You need both. And they work together. You can't pedal a bike on one side. You got practical spiritual, practical spiritual. When you have both sides, it moves it forward. So I'm going to talk specifically about the spiritual side. So this doesn't mean that I don't believe in the practical side. So before you blog, before you post, before you email, I believe in the practical side. I'm just not a professional. I am, however, a professional in the spiritual side. And this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the, the, the word and how it speaks to the conditions of our heart. Now, we're going to reverse engineer contentment. Philippians chapter 4, same chapter, couple verses before this, it says this. This is the, the, the scriptures that we're going to tear apart over the next couple of weeks. It says, rejoice in the Lord. Yep, that's, that's it. That's right. All, always. Always. Every time. Just no. Paul gives us no way out. Always. And for all of you that felt like you had a way out, he says, and I will say it again. <laughs> rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let's just spe- speed through this. The, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about, everybody read it. Anything. This is not me, this is Paul. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds In Christ Jesus. Now, I want to tell you what the outcome is. The outcome is contentment and a peace that transcends all understanding. I would would probably say that most of us in this room, we want the contentment and we want the peace. All right? So so, so now we're going to just back up and we're going to figure out how do we begin to build that foundation in our life. And we're only going to take one verse for the rest of our time today to do it. And it's this. Rejoice. In the Lord, always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. I don't know if you've ever been driving your car and the check engine light has come on. I I know for some of you, your personality is when the check engine light comes on, you take it to the shop, not because there's something wrong with the engine, but because that light's on and it needs to go off. That light is an indicator that there's something wrong with the engine. It's not, there's not a problem with the light. The light is the indicator. I don't know why the check engine light comes on. Broken light. No, there's something broken in the engine that causes, the the light is only the indicator. I want to help you with something. Anxiety is not the issue. Anxiety is the indicator. 
When you feel anxious, it's not like, how do I deal with this anxiety? I got to get rid of this anxiety. This anxiety. No, the anxiety is the result of something else. It is the check engine light. Like pain is. Pain tells you something wrong. I just hate this pain. I got to get rid of this pain. Something's hurting you. Anxiety is the flashing light in your life that something is not right. Check in July. It's flashing. It's on. There is something that is wrong. Anxiety isn't your problem. It is announcing that there is a deeper problem somewhere else. Can I just say it this way? It is not a lack of spirituality to be anxious. Can I set somebody free for a second? It is not a lack of spirituality to be anxious. Anxiety is the indicator that something is going on in your heart. Did, did you know that super spiritual cars don't have a different check engine light? Well, man, you know, I drive the nicest car there is. It still has a check engine light because there can still be issues, and it warns you just the same as a cheap car does. Because it's not about the quality of the car that announces the issue. It is the announcement that tells us something is wrong. And Paul, when he writes to the church of Philippi, he begins to build this foundation of how you get to the place of peace that transcends all understanding and how you get to the place of contentment. And he says, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. I would propose to you this, that some of you, you are running through life and your check engine light has been on for a really long time. And you've learned to ignore it, you've learned to push it to a side, or you've learned to live with it. But that anxiety is a warning signal that something else is wrong. I, I have a I have a side by side that I that I take my brother and I we take hunting and and, uh, and and it's really annoying because it can only go five ten miles an hour unless you have the seatbelt buckle. I know, but when you're out in the on the land, you don't want your seatbelt buckled. I mean, there's no laws about that. Like I want I want to be on the open road. And, and and so I found this on Amazon. I found this. It is a seatbelt override. It's incredible. I plug it in. And the seatbelt beeper never goes off anymore. I never buckle it unless I'm on the road and I'm following all the rules of the lands of rules of land laws of the land. There it is. <laughs> Other than that, that thing is off. I'm on the field. That is off, and, and it never beeps because I have a system override that now erases that signal. Now it doesn't mean that the problem is fixed. It doesn't mean that the seatbelt has been buckled. It means that now I have overrode the signal that was there so that I can do what I want. I'm going to let you know that anxiety, some of us, stress in some of us, is something that we just learn to deal with. Now, there are some elements of stress that we're never going to be able to get rid of. There are some elements of this life that are stressful that we're never going to be able to avoid. And if you're one of those that's just saying, if I can just avoid people because people stress me out, that's not going to work. <laughs> work stresses me out. I can't work. It's not... That's, that's not, you're going to have another thing to, to stress about in a couple of months. It, it, it's not avoidance. It's recognizing that the light is on for a reason, and I have to begin to work on the engine of my heart and the engine of my life to get that light off so that I can function properly. And this is what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again Rejoice. This is what rejoice means. It means to delight in God's grace, 
literally to experience God's grace, his favor, and be conscience, conscious and glad for it. So I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm conscious of his goodness and his grace, and then I just get happy about it. That's what, that's what rejoice means. You know, notice it says rejoice. So not only is the word itself, if you break it down, tells you to do it again, because re, right, to repeat, it means to do something over. So it says to rejoice. Not only that, but Paul says it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. We're already rejoicing, Paul. Now we're re-rejoicing. Paul says to re-rejoice always. Now this, this is the question that we have to answer is how do I begin and what is, what does it mean to rejoice? Because I think we can say pretty easy, all right, rejoice in the Lord always, brother. That's how we come to church sometimes. I'm rejoicing in the Lord always, brother. It's rejoice. What, what does that look like? What does it mean for us? I'm telling you more than ever before in the culture that we live in, as a man or a woman of God, you have got to figure out what it looks like to build the life and the culture of your heart and your mind that you want. It is not just fill it out as we go. It is not just, well, hopefully I get to the place of contentment. Hopefully I get enough, gain enough, accomplish enough that I'll be content. It is not that. It is not hopefully things die down enough so I can finally have peace. It's not that. If the, people tried to get out of 2019 like they're trying to get out of 2020. And we're like, well, 2019 wasn't as bad. You didn't say that in 2019. No one's ever been happy with the year. How, how many times have you gone to a New Year party and everyone's like, I hope this year is like last year? <laughs> Never. It's New Year's resolutions. It's changes. It's hope on the horizon. We're going to do something different. It's going to be better. What is that? It is always hoping for that something's going to be different than it is right now. I want to ask you a question. If nothing ever changes in your life, can you be okay? If, if the world never gets better, can, can you be okay? If they never stop, if he never starts, if what, whatever it is that comes to your mind, if it never changes and never happens, can you be okay? Can you rejoice in God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, his presence, his provision in the midst of what you're going through? I know what some of you are thinking. like, oh, this is classic Christian talk. Deny my feelings and just, just try to be better and just rejoice. Fake it till I make it. Say things are good when they're not. This is not what I'm saying. In fact, David in the Psalms gives us the best picture of how to deal with an emotional soul. David is all over the place. I'm talking like, God, where are you? She's like, God, you're my rock. In like a matter of three verses. So this is not about denying what we feel. It's recognizing that in the midst of what we feel, God's truth still remains. It is recognizing that in the midst of crisis, God's truth still prevails. It is recognizing that in the midst of 2020, God's still good. God's still on the throne. God's still in control. God still has a plan. God still has hope. God still has a future. That we don't have to stress like we're stressing. The only reason we could be stressing out so much about what's happening right now is if we don't trust. If we really trust 
God was good, if we really trusted that he was in control, we wouldn't stress about what's happening. This is what Paul said. He goes, I figured it out. I got the secret. And they're like, Paul, you're in jail. He goes, I know. I figured it out. I'm happy. Thank you for the chains. Thank you for putting me in prison. I got more time to write to the churches. Thank you. What are you doing, Paul? He's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. This is what David says, Psalm 32, verse 11. He says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing all you who are upright in heart. Psalm 40, verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. Psalm 68, 3. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Psalm 97, 12. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. This is not David, like King David, always rejoicing, always perfect. This is King David, murderer. This is King David, adulterer. This is King David who made all kinds of mistakes. This is King David who thought that his enemies were going to kill him. This is King David who thought that God had forsaken him. This is, but he, he never stays in the place of doubt. He always decides or chooses a place of rejoicing. Re rejoicing is not denying what you feel or denying the circumstance that you find yourself in. Rejoicing is finding something to be glad about in God. It, it, it is saying, God, the world is crazy, but you are good. God, I don't understand the circumstances. I don't understand why this happened, why you didn't answer my prayer. But I know you are good. It, 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 it comes out of your mouth. It's rejoice. Why is it rejoice and not just joicing? Because you have to say it over and, oh, it's repetition, friend. It is a repetition. It is a rhythm of rejoicing before the Lord. It, it is this. What does rejoicing look like? Rejoicing looks like a declaration. It is a declaration of my trust in God. When I rejoice, I'm declaring, God, I trust you. I'm, I, Paul, when he rejoiced, he said, God, I trust you. I'm in jail. I'm in chains. But I trust you. People are talking bad about me. He talks about people that are opposing the church. He says, these people are opposing. They're teaching false doctrine. But yet I rejoice. I, it is a declaration of my trust in him. Rejoicing is saying that you trust in God in the midst of chaos or in the, not after it, in the midst of crisis. It is a byproduct of our connection to him. Do we trust him or do we not? Rejoicing says we do. Rejoicing. You know, sometimes I've thought about my spiritual life, and, and I'm an intense person. I don't know if you picked that up or not. Um, and, and, and so, like, even in my prayer times, like, it, I'm intense. Rejoicing is this gladness that Paul talks about. And I, I don't really, honestly, I don't really relate with that too much. I'm like, let's take the land. Revival. Pray. Like, but he's talking about this rejoicing thing. Like this gladness. Like this happiness in God. God, whew, you're so good. Wait, Paul, look around. No, he's, he is. He's good. He's so good. Man, God's so good. It's not just a song we sing. It's not just psalms that we declare. He actually is in rejoicing. He's just saying it over and over. 
saying it over and over, declaring it over and over. God, you're so good. It's, it, it's like the psalm says, is that his love endures forever. The entire psalm, it declares something else. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. What is that? It's rejoicing, rejoicing. It's a declaration. It is a seed. Rejoicing, believe it or not, is a seed. Because if you think that rejoicing today after service is going to change your situation, you are going to be disappointed. Rejoicing is not the fruit, it's the seed. Now remember, we're reverse engineering peace that transcends all understanding and contentment in every situation. And in order to do that, we have to start all the way over here and we have to start at rejoicing. So I'm going to choose to rejoice. And I know what some of you super spiritual people are saying. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh rejoicing. Can, can I just question, maybe just challenge you with this? Don't knock it until you try it. If you're not rejoicing, don't you dare tell me it doesn't work. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I need to do, no, you don't understand. The word of God doesn't work if you don't work it. Well, I'm observing the word to see if it's good for me. No, stop. Stop it. we got too many observers, too many spectators, too many commentators, and not enough participators. If you have not participated in the work of God, then you need to be quiet until you do. All right? Love you. We, we, we have to participate in what God's doing. So rejoicing is not a product. It's a seed, which means I have to sow that seed consistently, re-rejoice over and over until now the outcome is a peace that transcends all understanding and a contentment in every situation. So I don't rejoice for a week and then say, God, you're not there. I make rejoicing a part of my pattern, a part of my rhythm, a part of my daily disciplines, and I wait and see how God develops my heart. It is a seed. Rejoicing sows a seed for your future peace by taking a present stand. You know what our culture says? Let your feelings lead you to where you are and where you end up is your truth. We've already talked about this in our series when we talked about doctrine. There is no my truth or your truth. There's absolute truth and that's it. When I, when I rejoice, it is a seed into my, into my future peace. I'm taking a present stand. I feel like killing someone. Well, what, that's my truth. What, can, I, can I do that? No, I don't get to do that. I don't, well, can I follow my feelings? My feelings are accurate, aren't they? No, they're not. My feelings have to conform to the truth of God's word. Now, I still might feel it, but I operate in the opposite spirit, and I begin to rejoice. Now, this is where error comes in, because we start saying, if I just start rejoicing, then all the feelings are going to go away. It's not usually true. Rejoicing is a seed into your future peace. And when you see it like that, you begin to practice it diligently without saying, well, I rejoice. Now, why has my attitude changed? Your attitude hasn't changed because you have a bad attitude about rejoicing. <laughs> rejoicing is a seed that you plant in expectation for a future place of peace. Rejoicing speaks of God's goodness, his power, and his love. Rejoicing is a seed, but now listen to this, and this is where we're close. Rejoicing is a choice. It's a choice, I'm going to rhyme with your, my son would really be happy about this, choice with your voice to rejoice. I make a choice with my voice to rejoice, to rejoice. Rejoice 
in the Lord. What do you do when you don't feel like rejoicing? Can I be real honest with you? I don't feel like rejoicing very often. If I only rejoiced when I felt like it, I would not rejoice very often. Not only that, if I only preached when I felt like it, there would be some Sundays I would not be here. Y'all like, where's Pastor Dustin? He didn't feel like it today. I mean, the, we're, our culture is so polluted with this theology, philosophy, and doctrine that leads us to a, we're, we're looking at ways instead of outcomes. We're obsessed with outcomes. And so we say, I just want to feel my way into that outcome. You don't feel your way into that outcome. You rejoice your way into that outcome. I make a choice when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling stressed, when, I'm, it, when I begin to rejoice and I feel stressed, it doesn't change right away. But I begin to plant a seed and I begin to make a choice. Did you know you live in the world that you create with your own words? If your home is negative, it's probably because you're talking. Your speech is negative. If you talk about more bad things than you do good things, it's no wonder there's a negative atmosphere in your home and in your life, in your marriage, and in your children. You have to begin. Well, I don't want to be one of those positive people. Really? What do you want to be? One of those negative people? Well, everybody wants to be around that, don't they? Why wouldn't you want to be positive? You know, my natural bent, personally, is towards negativity. I'm a critical thinker. I'm always saying about 43 things that are wrong and how to fix them and what do we got to do to do it. I'm sitting in worship. I'm trying to worship and I'm seeing like things that I shouldn't see. And uh, I'm like, oh, should we, if we move that cable that side and we move that screen up, we could see it better. If that light didn't hit me in the eyes and I could adjust. I mean, that's how I think. So when I say rejoice in the Lord always, it is a consistent discipline to pick up my eyes from critical thinking and oftentimes negative thinking and to think on him and to get glad about the goodness of God, to actually get excited about who he is. Rejoicing doesn't deny feelings, but acknowledges God's goodness in the midst of them. God's goodness in the midst of them. I want to show you something that's going to be. I got this chair up here. You guys are wondering, am I going to preach from a chair? No, I'm not. I'm going to sit in it right now. I just, I don't know why, but I was praying um, this week for this message. And I just felt like I almost needed to illustrate how simple this is. Rejoicing. Someone's like, I don't know what rejoicing is. And others are like, well, you don't understand my life. I would, I would say I have a decent amount of stress in my life. Decent amount of pressure. Um, decent amount of opposition to me and to what I, my, my call and to what I want to do. I think... Jamie and I, our family, we went through some things that have been, most people would say, like, that's, that's pretty tough. Like, that's, that's a difficult time. Probably doesn't rival some of your stories or some of your difficulty, but I think it would, we would say, wow, yeah, that's. I don't always feel content. I don't always feel happy. I don't always feel at peace. But I'll tell you where I rejoice consistently. Relaxing. In a chair in my office, here, or at my house, and I say stuff like, God, usually just like this, except I got a cup of coffee. Get that for next service. <laughs> God, you're so good. I love you in the midst of this. That's crazy, God. Pressure sometimes so much. But I know you called me. 
I know you're good in the midst of it. Jesus, you went through so much. How can I even look at these temporary things and get stressed out, want to quit, want to throw in the towel? I just need your strength today, God. I need your presence. I need you to be with me. Your word says, when I walk through the water, you will be with me. When I walk through the fire, I will not be burnt. So here I am, and I don't know what today has, but I'm going to rejoice. I rejoice. I rejoice. I rejoice. God, you're so good. Man, Lord, look at my family. You're so good. Thank you that I have a wife that loves me and supports me and believes in me. Thank you that I got kids that are grown up to love you and to know you. God, thank you for a church that loves you. Lord, thank you for a church that wants to do big things and accomplish big dreams. God, thank you for the leaders you're raising up. Lord, thank you for the hundreds of young people that come into our church every single week that are encountering you. Thank you. I'm literally, I, I feel this right now because this is literally, this is literally what I do. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me to not just encourage and pump up, but to actually show you like how easy it is. It's just talking to God. God, I'm freaked out. I don't know if I made the right decision. I don't know. I was stressed. I was stressed about buying the Dream Center. God, I didn't know we're going to come through when you're not. What are people going to think if we try to buy it and then we can't get it? What, what are people going to think if we plant a campus and it, and it fails? What are, we gonna th- what are they going to think? I think about that. God, what do they think if they're watching my message and I think, they think I'm talking about them? What if they're, they're going to post something stupid? What if they're going to email me again? What? It's real. I know I'm taking some time. I'm being somewhat facetious, but I'm being super sincere. Like, this is literally how I start my day, is talking, whining, being real with God. God, I don't want to have all these meetings today. I really don't. I really don't. I just want to go hunting. I really want to go hunting. Because that 1 o'clock service is just like, man, it's, it's like right during lunchtime. And football. But you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, re-rejoice. 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 God, you're good in the midst of it. I don't have to wait till I get to the other side. I don't have to wait till it's over. I can be okay in it. I can be happy in it. I can be full of joy right in the midst of it. I can be victorious in it. I can hear it and not be faced. I can see it and not be discouraged. I can walk through it and not be burned. I can be in it and not drown because God, you're good. You're good.